podcast where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. I am your host, Noah S. Garcia, Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. Today, I welcome to the show Ashley Taylor, Licensed Professional Counselor, who will be discussing their practice and specialty, the intersection of values and identity on relationship dynamics. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks for having me, Noah. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Um, So what are your credentials and experience? Yeah, so I um, am a licensed professional counselor. Um, I was dual track in my clinical or my program for clinical counseling and school counseling. I've worked a little bit of everywhere. (laughs) I have been a mental health first responder. I've worked with the Um, legal system for probation, whether it's state or federal probation, um, with the domestic violence program. I've worked in school settings, both charter schools and public schools, and now I'm in private practice. So I've had, I feel like I've gotten a lot of like awesome experience in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked in higher ed as like a career counselor. So I just gotten to do like a lot of cool shit. And now I get to bring all of that to my practice. It's interesting, I think, how our uh, experiences kind of shape us, our interests and our approaches. When we um, first gain experience in the community versus in a private practice setting, and I think that um, you know, baby LPCs and LMFTs and uh, social workers, like I think everybody needs that community experience. Um, I, I think it's invaluable. Um, but it sounds like quite the journey. It sounds like a lot of fun. Probation sounds like a lot of fun. I <laughs> loved it. It was so, uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved working with parole. I loved all of those pieces. When I first moved from New Mexico to here, I was looking for positions like that. 
Mm-hmm. And I just either, you know, I'd keep applying and nothing would really be showing up. I applied to a few of like the um, prisons to try and navigate that route. But the, what I was learning is how some of that work is done here is very different than how it's done in New Mexico. Um, it wasn't as community-based as I would have liked. Um, and it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't as relational. Like it felt there is structure to it naturally. Um, we just got to do a lot of really cool things in New Mexico that as I was asking in some of the interviews, I'm like, wait, y'all don't do that? Y'all don't this do that? This is Texas. Yeah, <laughs> I learned that. <laughs> um, so tell us, Ashley, in your practice, do you accept insurance? If so, which ones? If not, why not? Yeah, so I am private pay. Uh, meaning I'm not paneled with any insurance providers at this time. Um, It took me a little bit to weigh for my business what felt most attuned. And Mm -hmm. for me, I would rather have be able to reduce my rate than have some of the limitations that come with insurance, um, such as session time, such as certain diagnoses that will be covered or won't be covered requiring a diagnosis for someone to seek support. Um, Mm -hmm. And so by having some of that flexibility, I can offer reduced rates um, or, you know, just navigating someone's mental health the way that they want to and not the restrictions of their insurance provider. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does your reduced rate or sliding scale look like? Yeah. So it's shifted a little bit with COVID which has been kind of fun um, and then kind of like, Ooh, I got to figure this out. Um, but I initially started with a pay what you can. And so it was community based that if your financial situation had changed, we would either bump you up to like the next slot to open that up for someone else. Or if you were like, Hey, something's changed and I can pay the full fee, then that could offer a few more boxes open up. So every few months, I just kind of check in with people. I'm like, hey, how is this going? They say, this has changed. This hasn't changed. We revisit. And then if that slot opens up, it just allows someone else to kind of come in and plug to that. Mm-hmm. So I do it on an honor system. I don't need y'all to show me your paychecks. I don't, I, I do feelings. I don't do numbers like that. So you know what it's like to live in your life and to experience you know, the things that you have. So I just trust that you're going to be honest with me about what you can afford and what you can't. And if that changes, we just talk about it. Like, it's not like a drop of a hat. You're gone. No more services. Like, no, it's right. no therapist should be doing that. Yeah. Um, so I just like to trust that the community is taking care of each other. And if I feel like I have a sense that something's changed, I just ask about it and we go from there. It's a good policy. I like it. Do you have any weekend or evening appointments? Yeah, I do have evening appointments on Mondays and Tuesdays. Weekends, I just need a break. As much as I love my clients, like I need to be able to, well, with COVID, it's a little different, but on Saturdays, I used to go (laughs) get my donut and get my coffee. I need my recharge time. Um, So right now, I don't have weekends. Okay. Um, it sounds like you have a lot of experience doing a variety of things. Is being a therapist your first career? If not, what was? So I would say probably higher education was my first career. I worked in higher ed for about 
seven years um, being in advising or a career counselor, um, being in like some of the admin work as well. I knew I always wanted to be a therapist, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get here. And higher ed seems pretty cool. And it was, it was pretty great, but I was still getting that itch to do some of that deeper work Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of shifting into doing therapy. I will say one of my favorite jobs ever was working at Lowe's. (laughs) I loved working at Lowe's hardware. Um, And there's many times they're like, well, we could move you into management. I'm like, that is not therapy. (laughs) But I love it. <laughs> I loved working at my uncle's 7-Eleven for a while. Um, I loved stocking the cooler. That was the most fun because you're getting to like, you know, put things all in uniform and you're in, you know, in the middle of the summer, you're in a cooler, you know, and that feels great. Um, mm-hmm. And you get to like listen to music and just move around in the cooler and, you know, just kind of a, yeah. yeah there's like a rhythm to it too in stocking mm-hmm. shelves yeah. or like having that time I loved at Lowe's hearing people's like projects I was like what are you working on <laughs> <laughs> oh show me the pictures so yeah I loved I loved hearing everybody's stories I'm like "Ooh, you bought an old farmhouse where tell me more <laughs> <laughs> I love manual labor I've noticed that's one thing I really enjoyed like I would love work on a farm so I think that would be like so awesome I like to think that I would like stuff like that but then I get kind of frustrated if it doesn't like I'm like oh I'm gonna make this raised garden bed but then if it doesn't look right or like I don't know if I cut a piece of wood wrong I get really frustrated so I admire DIY or manual things from afar (laughs) and then I will give you all the commentary (laughs) Like, I love HGTV for that reason. Like, oh, but I'm glad I'm not doing it because it would probably take me forever. <laughs> well, uh, sounds like you were definitely drawn to being a therapist. What drew you to being a therapist? Um, I think the big thing for me is I love hearing people's stories. I think mm-hmm. one of the most powerful things of being a therapist, I just got goosebumps, is like being able to hear someone's story and their like full authenticity Mm -hmm. and being able to witness and validate and just hear what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of the folks that I've worked with, they're like being able to like say this out loud for somebody else to hear is like healing in itself. Right. And just like my people at Lowe's that was like, what projects are you working on? Show me the pictures. I'm going on break soon. It was the same thing. I love people. I'm very mm-hmm. much an extrovert. And so I was really yes. curious <laughs> going into therapy, you know, um, going into therapy. Many of my colleagues are introverts. And so I was like, oh gosh, am I going to have too big of a personality for this? Um, and I've learned like, no, like it's, just very much of who I am. I'm very relational. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I think COVID has definitely tested (laughs) my extroversion, Um, but I'm just finding other ways to connect. And I think that's the, the beauty of us all seeking connection is how do we make it work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
There can be so many barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself. What are your hobbies, interests, TV shows, music, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So I, as I said, I'm definitely an extrovert, like through and through. Love meeting people. Uh, love being social. Figure out new ways to be social. Um, I'd say like I got Hulu recently, which is very dangerous. Cause I love, I love reality TV. I love true crime. <laughs> you can get me started. True crime is all I watch. That's exclusively yes. what I watch. It's so funny. Cause I'll listen to like a true crime podcast before I go to bed. Cause it's like <laughs> calming for me. Right, and right. my partner's like, why are you listening to serial killer stuff? I'm like, it's relaxing. And he's like, no, it's not. Uh-huh. Can you wear your headphones? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for me, like, having forensic files on in the background is like a lullaby. (laughs) Yeah, I'll watch it when I'm, like, meal prepping. It's amazing. (laughs) I I love it. And I'm like, did you know? And I'm like, I don't care. And don't even get me started about Jean Bonnet. Like, do not (sighs) even get me started. (laughs) Okay, okay. Have you seen Abducted in Plain Sight? Yes. Don't get me started on that. I'm like, really, parents? Yes, I know. Really, parents? Really? (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, so yeah, I love reality TV. Love true crime. I love matcha lattes with almond milk. Um, And I enjoy being outside more when it's not a thousand degrees in Texas. Um, (laughs) So like, I... You know, I miss some of the mountains that I had in New Mexico, but, you know, I'm glad that there is so much of an outdoor lifestyle here in Texas. Yeah. Um, previously, I enjoyed traveling when that was a thing. So now I just have this ginormous list of all the places I want to go. Um, and I have two rescue babies, uh, Theodore the Great, who's a Chihuahua Terrier mix. Oh, he's so ornery and he's so old. Um, and then I have Guinevere the Victorious. They're both fairly small, so they need big names. And she <laughs> is a Dachshund Beagle mix, and she is super sweet, just wants to snuggle you all the time and then lick you with her stinky breath. <laughs> She'll lick you and you just get the dumps. Is it fire. the shrimpy, shrimpy breath? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's so, I'm like, we don't even give you anything that's fishy. <laughs> right. <laughs> why do you, why does it smell like this? Even after we like get our teeth cleaned, we're like, it's still. Yeah. Thanks. Girl. It, you know, after a while, it becomes endearing. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It'll wake me up at night. I'm like, oh, Gwen's near. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, So, you know, we're talking about values and identity and the intersection of these on relationship dynamics. Um, In what ways do you approach, like from what angles, from what modalities do you approach this? Yeah, so I use a family systems approach tied in with some acceptance and commitment therapy And then I recently got plugged in with EMDR, trained with EMDR. And so in my work, we focus on some of those early experiences that you had with your family that you grew up with. 
and how maybe those values of your family attuned or felt aligned with you, or maybe how they didn't. And so sometimes we end up kind of creating these patterns of distress or anxiety or chaos, I say, because there was this misattunement to what felt safe for me, what felt comfortable for me, where did I feel most energized? Mm -hmm. And so being able to take a look at, okay, here's my family, but also here I am as an adult, like, and this isn't working for me. And so being able for folks to get more in tune with who they are, why am I feeling activated in this situation? Why is this relationship so chaotic for me? Or why does this relationship feel so good? Why do I always feel seen and validated and heard? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think those values can be a really good foundation for us in our decision-making and how we interact with others and kind of getting some more of that, I want to say like specificity around why something doesn't feel attuned. Why does something feel off? And so how does one go about identifying their values? Well, I have this stellar activity (laughs) (laughs) that I do with folks. Um, And, you know, basically what I encourage people to do is that, you know, we have this list. I think I have about like 50 values on it. Um, I say, hey, like find a time where you can get like centered. You don't have to rush to get into anything. And I have like a few prompts of like kind of helping yourself get in that mindset. And I say, pick, you know, three to five values that may have been things that like historically have been important to you. They can be aspiring things of what you want to create. They can be things that are showing up for you right now that either feel very attuned or very activating. And then like writing out what those values mean for you. Um, I think in getting a sense of, okay, why is authenticity important to me? For me, that's one of my values. I'm like, if I know you're authentic, like I can kind of let my hair down, especially now that Mm -hmm. I have more of it with COVID, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I can let my hair down and be genuine and be curious and not feel like my guard is up. Community is another one of my values. And so I think it takes community to create change to, I think, build, to grow. And so if I get a sense that you are also attuned with community and you're thinking from a community mindset, Mm -hmm. that helps strengthen my relationship with you. Or if I feel like there's situations that are coming up where maybe someone's not as authentic, I definitely get curious. I'm a therapist. I'm like, hmm, what is going on here? But it also kind of helps me measure like how comfortable do I feel with this person Would I want to go spend an extended period of time with this person? Why do I feel so activated if I'm just getting coffee with them? Like I need that authenticity to feel a genuine connection. And so if I'm trying to force something, you know, it helps me kind of put things into perspective versus like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get along with them and not be so bugged? Mm -hmm. And how might that show up in terms of like identity? So I think in a sense with identity, there becomes this piece like, 
I view our identity, which it kind of feels like some internal family system stuff, but I'm not totally trained in Ooh. that yet. Lay it on me. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I think there's so many parts that make us up. Right. And yeah. some of those parts can serve different functions. Mm-hmm. And so if I know at my core, So if I know at my core that authenticity, community, creativity are some of my values, that the function of those different parts of me may go into protective mode. They may go into like high anxiety. Based off of that information, I can better understand why I'm reacting the way that I'm acting. And I think it creates a place of like self-compassion too, because I think So I know speaking for myself, like growing up in a Roman Catholic family, um, very religious and very conservative, I didn't have a good sense of myself. And so when I would act in ways that were attuned to me, it was often met with a lot of shame and guilt for not being someone else's values, Mm -hmm. which then in turn just created a lot of yuckiness that I carried Mm -hmm. with me and probably still carry with for a really long time. And so I would rather people feel grounded in who they are, even if they're like, yeah, I got some quirkiness about me. I do these things, mm-hmm. but that's really good awareness and insight to have instead of just beating yourself up or not being a certain way. How might, I'm not quite sure if this makes sense, but how might parents use that information in you know the ways they interact with their child yeah that's a good question i mean i think it could play into like motivating factors Mm -hmm. like if it's something with school like Mm -hmm. okay if your child is more creativity driven and math is not very creative (laughs) like are there ways that we could shift some of that is there a way that we could make this more interactive in a different way? Mm-hmm. I think also too, if your values differ than like your child's and you're like, why don't you just do math? I love the, the structure or the logic behind it. Cause logic is one of their values. No mm-hmm. wonder there's going to be some disconnect. Right. And so it could offer a space of like, I want to say like acceptance Like Mm -hmm. your child's not wrong for wanting it to be more creative and you're not wrong either because you enjoy logic, but there can be this like loving understanding of like, yeah, we still need you to do your math homework. And I know it's not what you enjoy, but I can use some of my values to assist if that feels right. And I know, again, I can be more understanding that this is not fun and it's Mm -hmm. not anything against you as my child. Right. Well, and, you know, I think that uh, lots of parents impose their values upon their children, both children and adults, <laughs> yeah. all the time, you know. Um, I, I think it's something that uh, winds up in a lot of uh, holiday arguments at the dinner table, you know. I mean, even thinking recently regarding politics and values, um, so I, that's just uh, very curious to me and something, something maybe we should be more mindful of. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, values definitely overlap with the political components, the social components. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, yeah, it's, I'm like, I don't know. There are ways to have some of those like courageous conversations when they're, you know, coming up and you're having this disconnect, but I think it can create a place of like understanding Mm -hmm. potentially, maybe that's overly hopeful, but I think that, okay, hey, if you value X, Y, Z, and I value ABC, you know, I still don't have to agree with you, but I can Mm -hmm. maybe make the connection of why you feel like these policies or these certain uh, officials are important to you. And equally, I want you to see, based off of my values, why these certain officials are important to me. And so it could Mm -hmm. come to a place of like, we did some critical thinking around our values and how that translates into our community and society Mm -hmm. and we can still hold space. Yeah. Oh, a utopia. (laughs) 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 No, we can try our best and that's the most we can do. That's, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So what about What about relationship, relationship, <laughs> relationship, relationship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> dynamics <laughs> um, as it, as it presents with um, like, do you find that people with certain values tend toward certain helpful or unhelpful behaviors in their relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of the ones that come to mind is this idea of like over-functioning and under-functioning. So let's say, you know, community being one of my values, I could barely easily go into over-functioning mode of like trying to fix everything, trying to hold space for everything in an unrealistic way. But in order for me to create some balance, I have to take care of myself. I have to know what I need. So A, I could continue doing the work that I want to do. And I think we can sometimes meet partners who have some of the opposite values that we give a lot of or vice versa. And sometimes there can be healthy dynamic or balance that occurs within that. But sometimes it's not. And we can care about a person a lot, but we can still sense this like disconnect Mm -hmm. and we don't know why, why do I keep holding back or why do I keep doing X, Y, Z? And so it, it, I think in bringing some of that awareness and I think if, you know, each person is open to exploring that, well, how does like, how does this serve me? What is the function of this? Especially for my folks who are like the helpers but do a lot of maybe people pleasing in the process or, you know, some of the perfectionism that can come in with that too, it can help kind of reset more of a balance. And you're not like depleting all parts of you, all the energy, all the time, and then feeling resentful and feeling like, well, why don't I connect with my community? Mm -hmm. Why don't I connect with this person? Mm -hmm. 
And so how does that play into boundaries? The B word, boundaries or brownie. But (laughs) (laughs) um, I think with boundaries, what values I think offer is the idea of a better understanding of what works for you and what doesn't and how that threshold can change. So for instance, um, if you come from a family where you have a couple other siblings and let's say one of your siblings kind of checks out and doesn't have to do any of like the dishes or chores or I don't know, whatever. And then your other sibling kind of helps. This is me. I'm the middle child. So then the middle child's like, Oh, I have to do all these things to take care of my household. Like, because my older sibling isn't, you know, has checked out, I got to do all these things. But if I continue to over-function, then it never gives the opportunity for my sibling to show up because they're like, oh, they got it. Right. They're fine. Right? It's known as enabling, right? Yes. Yes. And so by being able to be like, well, yeah, community is a big part for me. Being in my family is my community. And my community also has to show up for me too. So I need to take a couple of steps back and I can offer maybe if I'm having more energy that day, but on the days that I'm not, I honor that I don't have that energy. And again, it allows that opportunity for in my family system for that person to come back into their spot, to plug in with the family. Mm-hmm. What about in our um, intimate relationships? Yeah, that's always fun. So boundaries. So I think in knowing what your values are and how that relates to your boundaries, you can actually be more present with your partner in that way. You know, if we try to act like if one of your boundaries or like one of your values is like solitude or quiet time or calm or whatever, but your partner is like this extrovert, and they like to go, go, go all the time. They don't like to be home. And you try to match that energy. I mean, you're going to run out of gas soon. Yeah. You're going to feel resentful. You might have like an explosion that occurs with all your feelings. And your partner's like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. What happened? And this was never communicated. Right. And so then there's this like rupture that has occurred. And now we need to figure out how to do that repair. So in doing so, if I say, hey, I really like my quiet time. So like Monday through Thursday, I really need to just be like home and centered. You can come over if you want, but like, I need that time. I'm okay with going out Friday and then the weekend, let's kind of check in. Maybe we can do a combination of them both. You're being authentic. You're communicating your needs. Your partner can be like, yeah, that works. Or, oh, can we do something different this weekend? And again, you can check your thresholds, your energy level. I think the more that you're aware of what you need, the better you can connect with others. Some people might have some buffers to that, or they might be like, well, no, I really want you going out Monday through Sunday, you know, Monday through Sunday, whatever, all week with me. Well, then that might kind of assess whether that relationship or that dynamic is really going to work. So essentially what you're doing here in this particular example, you're conceptualizing codependency as like being 
certain values. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't buy that. Yeah, sounds a lot <laughs> cooler than my long rambly version. <laughs> but I think it's it's the values offer for you to be more attuned. And when I'm attuned and when I'm grounded, I can speak up for what I need. I can mm-hmm. communicate effectively. Even when I'm activated, I can pinpoint closer to why that might be. And it also, like it could strengthen the relationship. It might also at times create conflict but you're able to talk with your partner or partners exactly about what you're needing. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately by me taking care of myself, I can ultimately have deeper connections with other people. It's when we dish out all our energy for everybody else. And then we get this like small breadcrumb at the end. And mm-hmm. we're like, why is shit so out of balance? Right. Why do I feel this way? Why am I always so tired? I like that conceptualization of codependency because, you know, I, I see a lot of people who's, uh, you know, especially AFAB people um, are brought up with values of like caretaking, for example, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, end up really overdoing it and, you know, suffering consequences because of it. Um, yeah. So and I think allows... that's interesting too, gender differences in values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even too, in some of the values work that I've done, we've been able to challenge, okay, is this value truly your value? Or mm-hmm. is this something that's coming from your family or from your community or culture or whatever? Because sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some folks are like, wow, this is so ingrained in me, but I've never felt quite attuned, but I still thought it was a part of me. Mm-hmm. But we get to decide what that volume looks like. It can still be a part of you, but you have access to how much you turn it up mm-hmm. or turn it down. Mm-hmm. You have a threshold with that. And so really encouraging people to be more in control of where they are or maybe not control, but like being able to manage the different parts that continue to show up. Because some days it's like a field day. Everybody's mm-hmm. showing up and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. hold on. Let me just calm down. <laughs> yeah. um, but it gives you just that framework and it, it can adjust. There might be certain values that show up more in certain situations, whether it's like intimate or romantic relationships. There can be certain situations that pops up more with family or even like, I'd like to say somebody at the 7-Eleven, so maybe not your uncle's 7-Eleven, but you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's a part of it. Um, and so it, it is interesting to see, particularly through that lens of gender, how that can impact and how that continues to evolve, mm-hmm. I think, too, especially with some of the teen clients I work with. I'm like, oh, y'all just have such, like, open minds, and I love it. But you're also very much aware of some of the community that you do grow up in and what those societal expectations are of you or what those community expectations are. Some you subscribe to and some you know as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, when, when people come to me and they don't really have a, 
a good sense of themselves, you know, the first place that we start is like talking about values, you know. Um, and I like the idea of like then backing up into those values. Um, and like you said, learning where you need to tone it up or down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's some of my clients probably get really annoyed with me because they'll be like a few months into therapy and they're like, ah, this is so blah. Like they're really angry or something's really like activating for them. And I'll just kind of, you know, sit and validate and encourage them to continue exploring. And then I'll be like, so what values is that connected to? And they're like, what? What, uh, what, what values do you think? I mean, I'm sure all do to a certain extent, but in, in your experience and your, like, just kind of, you know, it sounds like you, you think about and you work from this framework a lot. Um, what values do you think have the highest potential for like toxic behavior? Like when turned either too far up or down, you know what I mean? That's a good question. I mean, my brain goes to any value that has too much rigidity around mm-hmm. what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So even with like community being one of my values, if I crank that shit up, <laughs> like I'm not getting sleep. I'm not getting balance. I'm yeah. I might be helping a lot of people, but my battery is low. Mm-hmm. If it's turned down too much, I might feel isolated. I might feel disconnected. Um, That might kind of speak to, you know, some of the, like, anxiety that comes with nobody likes me, like, nobody, whatever, right? Those narratives that that run through. Um, I would say any value that has rigidity on what it looks like, that it has to look like cranked up to 100, when really there's so many variations to that value. Like if peace was one of my values, well, peace can be me staying home all the time and not going to my job perhaps, but then (laughs) I might not be living here very long or I might not have groceries. So being mindful that you can still be working, going to work and finding peace in the work that you do. It might be the 10 minute break you have between sessions as a therapist where you light some incense, do some deep breathing, go pee, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but even, you know, it could be even like when I worked at Lowe's, such a dork. So when I worked at Lowe's, I loved working in lumber because that's where all the cool projects were. And some of my, I feel like most meditative times were in the evening when I would be sweeping and I, it just was like rhythmic and it was mm-hmm. very like soothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can find peace anywhere. It doesn't mean I have to be on top of a mountain meditating. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> like, you know, we have to be mindful that sometimes the volume might be turned up a little bit more because that's what we need, but it doesn't have to be on high all the time. 
because then we get into like overproductive or underproductive mode, depending on what it might be. Got it. How about, you know, toxic as it applies to relationships? Yeah. So I'll just keep using my values because that feels really easy. (laughs) (laughs) So like authentic, right? Mm-hmm. Authentic for me can mean like as an extrovert, not having much of a filter sometimes when I probably need a little bit more of a filter because I just can't spew everything that comes out of my head because there's a lot of crap that just bloop, 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 floats around in here. <laughs> um, and so I can be authentic and I don't have to share every part of what's running through my head. I can be authentic and say, Hey, I need a minute to kind of like sort this out. Um, I think when it comes to relationships, understanding like this is your framework, but your partner or partner's frameworks might not be the same. And so being able to notice for yourself, Hey, if this is my partner's framework, does that work for me? Like not in the sense of like benefit or like, "Mm, I got this relationship, but in the sense of, is this something that I can continue to create, you know, a long-term commitment or whatever that means, continue dating this person and be okay with this. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that I laugh because I was like, you know, I, you know, I'm married to an artist. <laughs> I'm a therapist. Money is probably not either one of our values. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's safe to say. <laughs> so me probably dating somebody where money is one of their values, that would be really hard for me mm-hmm. because I am always like people over profit. It, mm-hmm. that's just how my brain works. And so even in different conversations I've had with like family or like past partners, like my brain just, I'm like, but why would you do that? Why can't they just have it? And they're like, At, what is this freebie world, Ashley? Like, where do you live? <laughs> I'm like, but they really like this kite. What can this kite bring to them? I don't know. Um, I'm surprised you didn't get fired from Lowe's. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, just take this wood. Just pl- you need this plywood. Yeah. Although I leveraged hardcore working at Lowe's because I've volunteered with a lot of nonprofits. Mm, There's a lot of donations they can there. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a little, you know, community. Cool projects. Very smart. Very yeah. Smart. Very smart. Yeah. I like it. So, um, what individuals do you think would benefit from this approach? I mean, I think everyone, because I'm biased. But for people who struggle with putting themselves first, for people who have these like narratives or these stories that they tell themselves of like not feeling good enough or not feeling like they can prioritize themselves or like they'll never really get their needs met. I think folks that are trying to navigate their gender, their sexuality, and trying to get a better sense of, can I be who I authentically am? 
and still feel loved and accepted and have connection. For folks who have childhood trauma, many of the folks I work with have a lot of early family dynamics that were not encouraging for a child just to be a child. And so I'm like, everybody, everybody could do this. Like if you have relationships with people, you could probably do this. If you have a relationship with yourself, you could probably do this. If you have any values whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a breathing human, (laughs) you could probably do this. (laughs) Uh, What do you think are some common misconceptions people have about values? Um, I think, hmm. I think sometimes like when it relates to like value work and family stuff, like family history, family experiences, they're like, I'm coming to you for anxiety, Ashley. I don't want to talk about my family. I don't, you know, why, why are we talking about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it is. Please, let's do it. Um, I think also it can come off like a little woo-woo. For some of my older clients, they're like, really? You're going to have me do this like value thing? Like you're such a millennial. I'm like, yeah. I'm a millennial. Soak it up like a sponge. Let's talk about (laughs) values. Um, Because there seems to be this disconnect that if, I think sometimes people assume if I only choose these three to five values, that means I'm limited to those three to five values. That I can't ask for anything else. My needs can't change. And I'm like, no, that's just the beginning. By you getting your needs met, you can create so much more. And you're going to have a better sense of yourself in doing it. You're not going to take that next level job that you're already stressed at. You're going to be able to find relationships or determine if a relationship is a fit for you. You're going to be able to explore hobbies or interests because your value is creativity and you're acknowledging that part of you. Mm -hmm. So just do it. Just kidding. But really, everybody do your values work. (laughs) I think, you know, one, you said, you know, when people choose three to five values, they feel limited to that and like they potentially can't get uh, their, their needs met. Um, what that made me think of is like, the word queer and how much I love it because it's like not limited. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's one of the very few words that we have that does not have any limitations. Yeah. And thinking about the like cis hetero world that we've grown up in, to have a word that like exudes all the possibilities mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing to have. I don't have to compromise on who I am. I don't have to fit in your box. I can be, I can have, I can be whoever I want mm-hmm. and it might change tomorrow, but that's great. Cause I have that fluidity. I have that flexibility because at the end of the day, 
I don't have to fit into anything. I just have to be myself. Such, such a, I got goosebumps. I love, just love that. Yeah. It's crazy how I remember hearing that word when I was younger and it was not. It was a bad thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now to have it as an adult and it's interesting seeing between different generations, how they respond to that word. Oh yeah. Um, some people like, respond, you know, with a very, like, guttural, reflexive response. Mm-hmm. And then I like to get curious. I'm like, what does that word mean to you? Because I know this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm already a therapist for a minute. Like, <laughs> you had a very distinct response. So what does that mean? But, you know, I, I like that we as a community have, have been able to take our power back in that respect, in, in terms of that word anyway. Mm-hmm. And I like how you mentioned just like all the possibilities that come with that word and mm-hmm. how it can be owned. Mm-hmm. I know in my process of coming out, I'm like, I have to figure out like, the exact label that fits for me. And then if it changes, I got to like figure out all this stuff. And then it was like, when I finally started sitting with it more, I'm like, I don't have to figure it out right now because it'll probably continue to change. Right. And little queer Ashley is probably different than adult queer Ashley. And that's okay too. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Young Ashley. Well, she's but, still but fun. you know, I, I have found that to be quite the limitation for some people who um, like names, for example. When people are transitioning, you know, often we try out a, a variety of names and we want to find a forever name, you know. Um, and you know, sometimes it takes practicing in different, different, uh, names and different experiences and different contexts to figure out what that is for us. And a lot of people shy away from asking people to use different names for them because they feel like, or they hesitate to choose a name initially in the first place because they feel like it has to be the name because mm-hmm. then if you decide you don't like it later, then, oh, I can't go back and tell everybody to use something different. But you use as many names as it takes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the charter school I used to work at, we probably about, I would say 50% of our student population was queer. And a lot of it was because That's they a were really high percentage. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I loved it. I was like rainbow walls everywhere. <laughs> um, but many of them didn't feel comfortable in the public school setting. Mm-hmm. So they kind of gravitated towards our like cute little artsy charter school. Um, and there would be students that would come in that every day they would have a different name for me. And I was like, that's cool. Just tell me, tell me what I'm calling you today. And we're good. And then their parents would call me and be like, look, Ashley, you keep encouraging this. 
and uh, we can't keep up. So cut uh. it out. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm probably going to keep encouraging it because I would rather your child figure out, try all these different hats on or whatever until they find the one that's just right. Because mm. we want our children to be themselves. We want them to feel empowered. We want them to feel loved and seen and validated. So if we comfortable. Yeah. So if they have to try 48 million names out, I'm game. Just, you know, let me know. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I found that especially to be true though with adults, you know, people who are tr- transitioning into adulthood and finding a name, they feel especially like um, pressured, I guess would be the word. Yeah. Like you're an adult and you're supposed to have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Even though you're kind of like, I feel like for me, it's like starting fresh again. Like I have to go, like if there's some, medical components that you're starting, like you're going through a whole nother like puberty. And we all know like puberty the first time, it's like a little rough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Testosterone is a beast. I'll say that. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if we could give the same, like I say the same grace with children. I don't know if children always receive grace in transitioning or figuring themselves out themselves out. But if we could extend that to the adults that are coming out later in life as myself, that was like, Ooh, maybe I'll come out. Maybe I won't. Um, because I'm not going to have it all figured out. I'm not going to know what my labels are. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it might change it might grow. And but will I say, and being open to what or who I continue to become, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And mm-hmm. whether it's a name, whether it's pronouns, whether it's how we present, like how we feel about our bodies, like so much of that, I think ties into that authenticity, that core. Um, I say that boldness. Now, bold doesn't always have to be like loud and flashy, but Bold can be like that warmth that you share with people as you share a part of yourself, as you connect, as you talk, as you engage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Good talk, Ashley. Yeah, I know. I'm like, (laughs) everybody, pick whatever name you want, like 10 times, 15 times. well, this this que- this question, I don't think. Um, I mean, obviously, you have experience, but um, what kind of experience do you have working with particularly vulnerable clients, such as those who are transgender, undocumented, or BIPOC? To name a few examples. Yeah, I mean, as we were talking, like I work a lot with the trans community or in the queer community. Um, for undocumented, I would say more of my work with undocumented undocumented clients or clients who were undocumented was when I lived in New Mexico. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of the students that I worked with in higher ed were dreamers. And so trying to navigate finding employment opportunities that they felt safe and comfortable in while trying to navigate, like I'm the first one in my family that's going to college. And like, if my parents send me tamales like one more time, <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky. I've always get tamales. It was wonderful. <laughs> I loved, 
I loved that oh, job. Um, so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in, I feel like in Texas, the tamales are really small here, but in New Mexico, they're like, I don't know if girthy is the right word, but they're big. <laughs> it's magical. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, why did I use that word? <laughs> um, but I'm definitely going to have to mark this episode as explicit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ashley, you're so inappropriate. Um, but and even working for the, within the legal system, unfortunately, we know there's a history of BIPOC communities being disproportionately affected um, when it comes to incarceration, um, involvement with the legal system. And so it, I think in that work, I really saw the disconnect between systems that were continually to be oppressive, that were not trauma-informed that were racist. And it was like, you would fight so hard, so hard. And it just seemed like nothing in that system would change the outcome for your client. Nothing. So hard. I've, I've been there before with clients. It's such a frustrating place to be. And you know, even more frustrating for that person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. No, it was like nothing you did changed and you're like trying to like foster some sort of hope of like you're healing this like like where you're at in your life you've come to this point and we can start healing some of this trauma that you've experienced but there is a sense of hopelessness like what do you want me to do I'm like I don't know but can we fucking fix it like what do we need to burn <laughs> what do we need to do <laughs> Um, yeah, that was, that was probably the hardest part of that job was just continuing to fight and not feeling like you were getting anywhere. And your client was the one that was getting all the like dumping. They were getting no benefit from that system and no opportunity to genuinely heal that trauma and be seen as something more than that trauma in a sense. Yeah. Very frustrating. Yeah. So switching to more about you as a therapist, what could a new client expect from an initial session with you? And what about on an ongoing basis? Mm. I like to say I'm really fun. Um, well, obviously, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I just encourage clients to share their story with me, however comfortable they feel. I like to remind clients, especially in our first session, like I'm this like person that you're meeting for the first time. I don't expect you to just like spill your guts with me and your entirety. Like I understand that it takes time to build that trust. It takes safety to build that trust. And I want you to know that I'm here. I'm here in that process. So if it takes us two weeks to start opening or sharing, great. If it takes us six months, I'm still here for it. Um, there's going to be days that we're going to laugh together. There's going to be days that we're going to cry together. There's going to be days that you're like, ask me about my values one more time, Ashley. Like, we're going to do all of that. <laughs> like, I will not, 
I'm not one that's going to continue to nod my head. I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to interact with you. Um, I'm going to kindly call you out sometimes. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. But like, what's going on with this over here? Because in order to grow, we have to get challenged sometimes. Yeah. And I like to say it's like gentle confrontation or maybe sassy confrontation. Like, I'm going to call you on your shit, but I'm also going to be your biggest fucking advocate. Exactly. Yep. That's, that's exactly what I share with my clients the first session is that I'm going to call you on your stuff, you know, in a gentle, kind way, but I'm going to do it because it just doesn't benefit you to, you know, let you keep doing those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, we're going to continue doing that together. There's going to be times you're mad at me. There's going to be times like, where are you going with this, Ashley? And there's going to be times that like I mess up too. And that's a mm-hmm. part of this relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a part of you saying like, I know you said this thing, but it's like, I don't know where you were going, but that is not how I feel. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, tell me more. Tell me more of that. Why is this not your thing? Or why does this not sync up? Where did I miss the mark? Because you are the person that knows yourself the best. I'm just going to help ask those questions that kind of uncover that more so you can continue to be a bolder version of who you are. Okay, cool. How would you say your clients would describe or experience you? Hmm. Uh, What comes to mind first is like sassy and soft. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do have a big personality and I think what comes with that is that relation, that relational piece. Like, I feel like I'm very warm. I'm personable. You'll know where I'm at. I'm pretty open. If I'm confused about something, I'm going to ask you about it. Um, I'm open to, yeah, I'm open. Tell me what we need to be doing. Tell me what you want to stop doing. If you're like, give me one more art project, Ashley. I'm like, okay. Good to know. <laughs> if, if you're getting more irritated with art and not feeling like we're accomplishing what you want, I don't want to be wasting any more time on that. Right. Yeah. And so I think there's this piece of because I am so transparent of what I'm thinking or like where, like, okay, what sense am I getting with this? It allows the client to equally be transparent too, even when mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, you know, coming from working in crisis work where you're doing a lot of suicide assessments at people at some of their like darkest spots, I felt like by being able to be authentic and say, Hey, like in you sharing your story, like I want to help get you connected. I want you to know that like, I want you on this earth and we're going to figure this out together. It's going to be collaborative. Like, I'm not really going to go anywhere. We're going to, we're going to go through this step by step. And I think there's just something so amazing about that therapeutic relationship, right? You can, you can act out all your family stuff with me and I will still show you unconditional positive regard. I will still show you empathy and I'll still probably call you on your shit too. Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of work through some of those patterns to show you right. can have a connected relationship. Right. 
Yeah. You have answered this question, but are you a therapist who will laugh or cry with your clients? Oh, I do all the feelings with my clients. If you're at like mad, I'll cuss with you. I'll scream with you. I don't give a shit. Like, let's just get it out. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about it because I don't think we, I don't know. I don't think we like feel all our feelings enough. I think we need more of that. How do you define holding space for someone? I think holding space is just being able to be present with someone no matter where they're at. If they're emotional, if they're feeling numb, if they're feeling resistant, like any part that shows up with my client, I want to be present to and attuned to. It doesn't have to be anything like miraculous. Like, Oh, holding space is just being with somebody in an, like being all in being fully right. present. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. I say that's all it is. Sometimes it's kind of tough, but can be sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I need my caffeine in the morning. What is the best advice you've ever received from a supervisor? Um, I think what comes to mind is like, you're probably going to mess up mm-hmm. and you're probably going to mess up more than once. And that's okay. Like it makes us all imperfectly perfect. And so you can't accept expect yourself to be perfect if you're encouraging your clients to be authentic or to acknowledge Mm -hmm. when they make mistakes or when they do really great things like you have to practice that too yeah absolutely what have you personally learned about yourself and or the world through your practice ah that there's so much more to learn (laughs) Oh, tell me uh, about it. <laughs> I'm like, I need to learn about this. I need to learn about this. I think one of the big things that comes to mind is like, yes, you will be a lifelong learner, but you also just need to soak it up and pause too. Like you, there's this idea, I think of like hustle culture, like do all the things. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you especially with your 5,000 projects. Um, but being able to like slow down and really be able to like enjoy the scenery of what you've created of what you're working on. Um, I just don't think uh, I I'm like a recovering overfunctioner, and <laughs> I'm learning to slow down more so that I can be more present in different ways than I had before. I can continue learning. My list will never end. It will be endless. And I can be okay with that. Yeah. So what do you do to take care of yourself? So like I said, a lot of crime shows. Podcasts. (laughs) Reality TV. Um, I think spending time with my dogs and my partner are things that are nurturing for me. I think also as much as sometimes I hate it as an extrovert, having some quiet time and alone time to, to recharge, reassess. I do love a good bubble bath with a bath bomb. 
Um, I pretend to go jogging. It's kind of like a start out jogging and then it just gets really slow and I walk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think <laughs> I actually really enjoy yard work too. That's cool. Yeah. A lot it's of not, people enjoy yard work. Yeah. We raked it's leaves. It's that manual labor thing, you know? Yeah. There's like a soothing to it. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if raking leaves is manual labor, then I'm, Amazing oh, it's totally amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some trees at our house and we raked up like 55 bags of leaves. And it was, that was a little <laughs> bit much, but like, it was nice, like being outside, being able to be in the mm -hmm. fresh air. Our dogs were like rolling around in crap they shouldn't. And so it was just like, oh, here's my life, raking 5,000 <laughs> leaves. <laughs> Um, how, how would you define happiness? 55 bags of leaves? <laughs> 55 bags of leaves. Uh, like when I think of happiness, I get this like kind of like vision of like sitting on my couch, having my two dogs near me, turning my head and seeing my partner and just finding like this calmness. There's nowhere that I need to be. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I can smell that like dumpster fish breath from Gwen. Like <laughs> I'm just, I'm here and I'm present. Um, I think that's happiness. I like it. What is the most embarrassing moment you've had as a clinician? Ooh. <laughs> well, so when I was doing um, some work with the legal system, we had to do, um, I did a lot of like domestic violence groups. Um, and one was like particularly early on a Saturday, like I say 8 a.m. That feels really early now because the COVID <laughs> stuff, it's like shifted my brain a little bit. But um, yeah, so I had like an 8 a.m. group and I had gotten there early and like being a grad student, I also worked full time during my grad program. Um, yeah, the hustle is real. What do you sleep? Mm -hmm. Thank you, <laughs> espresso. Um, so yeah, I got there really early and I don't remember. I just remember like sitting in my chair and I guess I fell asleep. <laughs> and so my sweet group members, oh, they're so sweet. They all quietly came into the group room and then when we were supposed to start, they like gently woke me up. Aww. <laughs> we're like, Ashley, are you ready to start a group? And I was like, what? What? <laughs> That's an awful way to wake up. <laughs> I know. I was like, here I am supposed to be the cool professional. And I'm like snoring. They told me I was snoring. I was like, I was not snoring. And they're like, you were snoring. Um, and so, yeah, they just woke me up and we, made a joke about how this group was too early and then we just started our work. Um, yeah. But I was definitely like, okay, Ashley, like you have to get coffee or like something in the morning to jazz yourself up. Cause you can't do that again. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a funny story. Um, are you in therapy or have you ever been in therapy? I think I live in therapy. Just kidding. I've gone to therapy on and off for a long time. Um, I think therapy is just one of those tools that we can use to help manage ourselves better. 
And I, not to cast too much of a generalization, but I would be curious if there's really any therapist who's never gone to therapy personally. I feel like there's a certain, in having that experience as a client, I think it also informs me as a therapist. Oh, for sure. Right? For sure. Like, yeah. So I want to, I want to be able to know, Hey, if something's coming up to me up for me, I don't want to be projecting that into my sessions. And my therapist now she's great. She like calls me on my shit. <laughs> she's very nice and nurturing. Um, but she kind of helps keep me focused on taking care of myself while working in this field and continuing to work through stuff that comes up. So I'm not projecting that into my sessions. And there's been sessions where I'm like, I think I just said this and I'm going to like vacuum, vacuum that back. Cause I think that's mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> my clients are like, yeah, it seems kind of off. I'm like, yeah, let me <laughs> just vacuum that back. Cause I don't know where the fuck that came from, but <laughs> it, you know, it's part of us also practicing what we do. Yes. Yeah. 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 So everybody go to therapy. Long story short. Yes. It, it, it weirds me out when there's therapists who haven't, been in therapy yeah I know a lot of grad programs are now requiring people do it which I'm like yeah but you still need to go to therapy after right Right? you've done your two sessions so you got the clear now you need to like continue yeah so I think that was my partner sneezing I don't know if that picked up (laughs) (laughs) um well, we've talked about a lot of things today, including things like values, being queer, and the girth of tamales. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are we like, yeah, I did this podcast with another professional, and I used girth to describe tamales. The <laughs> choice. Uh, anyway, um, I'm so twelve. Uh, is there anything else that you think would be good for a potential client or other therapists to know about you and your practice? Um, I mean, come check me out. I'm on social media. I'm like learning how to use that as like a professional sometimes. Um, (laughs) other times I am. So it's like Ashley Taylor counseling dot com or yeah ashley taylor counseling.com is my website and ashley taylor counseling is my instagram and facebook um i think if anything too like you can always reach out to me as a resource and it's okay if i'm not the therapist for you i know a lot of really awesome therapists that can be that connection for you like i don't plan to be everybody's therapist but I can definitely help you get connected to one that may feel right. We therapists have these like, we have these underground channels of people that we know to get you hooked up. So I'll say that. We sure do. We sure do. (laughs) Well, thanks for being on the show, Ashley. It was great to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Noah. This was great. Hashtag girthy tamales. The next question The next question
Thank you for listening to Next Quest Podcast. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Stay tuned for our episode next week, featuring Ani Mirasol, licensed clinical social worker, who will be speaking about their practice and an area of specialty, healing complex trauma and chronic shame through sex and BDSM. Next Quest Podcast is sponsored by Jan Dimmitt Resources. Save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at Jan Dimmitt Resources do what they do best. For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com. That is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T.com or call 512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. NextQuest Podcasts relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Podcast, or you can make a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com slash aboutnextquestpodcast. You can also support the podcast by liking our Facebook page. Until next question, this is Noah Garcia signing off.